Hello, my name is John Tonsi, and welcome to the Connect Podcast with Indianola First Assembly. And I'm Joel Simpson, and our goal is to build community and relationships through sharing life experiences and God stories to inspire and connect with each other on a deeper level. All right, today we have the pleasure of sitting down with Pastor Dave Woodcock and hearing his story. I'm super excited to get to know Dave a little bit more, and, and I've heard pieces of his story, and, and it's really, really powerful. So super excited to, to talk to you today. Yeah, good to, good to be here, guys. Good to see you. This is pretty cool. So Dave, tell us about your current role. Um, I just started actually June 5th was my first uh, day. I'm the, what would be called the resource director of The Well in Pella. And The Well is a ministry that was started around 2010 in Pella. And it was the, the idea of uh, kind of a, a community central ministry that connects churches and businesses and everybody within that community kind of comes together to, to support The Well. And so people would come to the well for um, whatever reason, maybe, uh, you know, people that are dealing with poverty or addictions or, or you know, now they're, they're falling behind in their bills and things like that. So they, somebody like that would probably walk through the doors of the well. And then I, as the director, would put our ministry team, um, our ministry team would get involved in that. And so we'd sit down with them. And, and usually when somebody comes in and they can't pay a bill, there's a lot of underlining reasons why they can't pay that bill. So we get to know them, we develop a relationship with them. And then we start seeing, wow, they're, they're, you know, there's certain areas that they're just, they're just lacking. They just don't have resources to really navigate life. Um, and it could be emotional, spiritual, uh, financial, I mean, just whatever. And so we connect with them in relationship and we start to uh, kind of minister to those areas of need. And it could be them individually, could be them in the, as their families. And we just, in relationship, connect with them, uh, help them navigate life, walk through life with them, connect resources in the community to, to help them and support them and the different churches. And, uh, and hopefully just, you know, help them, help them kind of navigate their issues. Uh, I think that's pretty amazing. Like you don't just pay their bill and send them on their way. You're, you're helping build them and showing them like how to live life and help them through all of that. Yeah. You know, it, it's just been shown study after study. If you're just giving to give, you're, you're creating, you know, uh, dependency, and so it's not about that. It's, it's so easy to do that in, in Christianity, man. It's so easy to do that. And you're giving, you think you're doing a great thing. But in reality, it, it, a lot of times, if it's not connected in relationship and in love and in development, it causes a dependency. And you're actually hurting them more than, than helping them. Yeah, that's so powerful. And, and just getting to the root of the issue, right? I mean, you know, I'm, all of us have been in some situation where it's just like, yeah, it's helping with the symptoms, but let's, let's get to the root of the issue, you know, and, and knowing that ultimately the answer is Jesus, but we, we, we got to walk that out, you know, just giving them something like you said is, is just kind of superficial to an extent at times, you know, it's like, it can be, but come, it takes more compassion to come and walk next to somebody through something and help them and meet them where they're at and say, hey, I'm here with you yeah. and, and, and work through that. That's, that's really incredible. Yeah, the unique thing, um, the people that would walk in there into the well would probably be people that would not step foot in the church. So, you know, as being in ministry for so many years, you kind of come in right away with the spiritual and, and you really can't. You got to meet him in relationship. You got to build that trust and then, you know, be led by the spirit as to when to introduce Jesus to him. 
Um, but that opportunity will at some point come up. And you can see like with a pastoral background, like not ministering to them right away would be difficult. Yeah, that's, that's actually been a challenge. Like I said, I've been doing this for, for three months and I, you know, I'm like right off the bat, I'm like, why we need to be ministering to them and <laughs> realizing that, you know what they need, yeah. they need a, they just need, you know, a little support right now. They just need somebody to talk to and somebody to, to help them in their situation. And once you, you know, you show that you care, then they'll, they'll trust you more. And then now it's open, you know, and the neat thing about the well too, they have a whole work side. So think about people who have struggled, who struggle to keep a job or hold a job, they get fired from a job, they, uh, they're in a poverty mindset where they don't understand the dynamics of working a, a you know, nine to five or whatever it is in a, in a manufacturing plant. We actually have a manu- manufacturing plant right there on campus where some of the local um, businesses like Vermeer and Pella Windows and a couple others would, would outsource some of their work to us. And so people would come into a works program and we would, they would clock in, we would, we would simulate, wouldn't simulate, it would be an actual working environment, but have them be in a, in a working environment where you clock in, you clock out for lunch, you know, all those things that you would see in the work, workplace and they have to navigate, navigate working through that. But a lot of grace extended to them if they, you know, they kind of freak out or have a, have an episode or something like that, we can work with them. But then as during the week while they're doing that, about 30% of that time they're with us in the ministry side. So we're developing a program. When somebody comes in the work program, it's like a year long program. So it goes through phases. It's all about growth and transformation. So they're clocking in, they're going to work and now they come to us. We're taking them through programming, discipleship, um, through phase one, phase two. Then we're getting more uh, personal with them and ministering to their actual needs. Um, and so you're starting to see growth. You're seeing stability in their house. You're seeing in, at, at, in their living environment, stability in maybe transportation. We help with that as well. Um, that, so their living is in, in a good place. They're becoming more emotionally and spiritually healthy. And so we move them along throughout the year. And towards the, the last phases, we're starting to, okay, what's the outside support? You know, what church, what, you know, go, hopefully they'll be connected into a church at this time. They'll start getting support on the outside. And with the idea that when they get through that year, they become a lot more complete, whole, and, and capable of launching out of the well into maybe Vermeer or maybe Palo Windows or, or whatever that is. But they're equipped now to, to be able to handle it. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a really powerful ministry. And just, um, I, I like the intentionality of development and growth. You know, it's like it doesn't, we don't get ourselves into bad situations overnight. We don't get ourselves out of it overnight either. And yeah, so to having that time, that's, that's really, really cool. So let's, let's back up a little bit okay. and let's talk about where did you, where did you grow up? I grew up in Indianola, Iowa. All right. You guys know where that is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right here in Indianola. Um, I born and raised, went to high school here. Um, my dad owned the, the only ready mix in, in Warren County at the time. It's called Bellwood ready mix. It's the, the concrete plant, you know, back behind Dairy Queen. Yeah. Back there. That was his yep. plant. My grandfather started it in 1948. My dad took it over in 1963, something like that, or 65, I don't know, something like that. And then we ended up selling it around 87, I think it was. So that's, uh, so that was that. And yeah, I grew up right next to the Memorial Park or real close to the Memorial Park in the pool. So that was my, kind of my backyard. So it was a great childhood. Love Indianola. Go Indians. So you didn't like follow into the concrete business? No, he sold it when I was a sophomore in college. 
And so, yeah, that would have been kind of neat, huh? Like, <laughs> thanks, Dad, for selling the family business before I get, right. get an opportunity. <laughs> so close. Oh, man. <laughs> so where did you go to college? I went to University of Northern Iowa. I went up there for three years. I played football for a little bit. And then I, I don't know, broke my foot, two knee surgeries, separated shoulder, broken finger, two concussions. That was fun. Um, and then after that, I transferred to University of Iowa and graduated from there. What was your first job? My first job? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I had a recruiter right out of high school in the city of Chicago. And I sold copiers, copiers and fax machines. That was my first job. And I sold to corporations downtown Chicago, and I had the military, so I would go down to some of the, the naval bases around Chicago and Air Force and, and sold to them. So that was first job out the door was selling copiers. Wow. So um, I know that um, you had a professional career all in, in Chicago for a little while. Mm -hmm. And so tell us a little bit about that journey and then what ultimately brought you back here. What brought me back to Indianola? Okay. Dude, it's a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, um, so yeah, I spent, I was like a kid in a candy store in Chicago, coming from Indianola to the city of Chicago. And I lived right in the heart of the city, right between Wrigley and downtown. And so it was, a, I got to be honest with you, it was a blast. I was there all through my 20s and 30s. Um, as, as worldly success goes, I, I had it. I made a lot of money, uh, had great apartments, you know, and just partied and had a lot of friends and, you know, all that whole lifestyle. And so through my 20s and my 30s and, and uh, you know, it's like the, after, after a course of several years, it's like the business successes started to kind of start to decline and the drinking and the partying and, and, and eventually drugs and all that started to increase. And I really saw myself in, in kind of a bad shape. I was really spiraling, spiraling out of control. So yeah, as my life kind of spiraled out of control, I, uh, I found myself managing bars and managing restaurants at the time. Um, cause it's really, it's really the only thing I could, I could do where I could drink. So I knew I was in trouble. I was, I was really in trouble and I, I didn't really see a way out. Um, I, I did not grow up with, with God in my life, so I didn't even consider God in my mess. I just, I just came to the conclusion that I'm going to have to spend the rest of my life as an alcoholic. And mm -hmm. so at one point during that, my best friend at the time, he was made a connection. He was always my, my, my drug dealer at the time. We'd always you know, I'd buy all my weed from him throughout the years. And uh, he made a direct connection from Mexico into Chicago to bring a lot of weight, a lot of pounds into Chicago to sell it. And at first I'm like, I, he wanted me to get involved. I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. But here I am bar managing these places. I knew my alcoholism was out of control. My bright idea, my brilliant idea was I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to make a bunch of money and I'm going to get out and start my own business. Yeah. <laughs> right. <I> was <laughs> Always, always make uh, good decisions when uh, drugs and alcohol are involved, right? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I got involved, and I tell you, that the money was ridiculous. And it just, what, all that did is took my party into a whole nother level. Mm. I could pretty much do whatever I wanted to do whenever I wanted to do it. And again, for that season, it was fun. But as it says in Numbers 32, 32, sin's fun for a season, right? And then, uh, and then it gets you, catches yeah. up to you. So... After about two and a half years of doing this, going into two and a half years, I was walking home from a Cubs game, which I love the Cubs. Go Cubs. <laughs> and I'd been partying all day. And I get home, and we just had a delivery of, into my house. And as I walk in the gangway to walk into the back part of my apartment, there's DEA, FBI, Chicago police, guns drawn, mm -hmm. face down in an alley, 
and they they had broken into my house. I don't know how this all transpired, but it did. And there was 536 pounds of marijuana in my house. Wow. I was handcuffed, put in the back of the FBI car, and the guy was yelling at me saying, you're going away forever, you're going away forever. And I sat there thinking to myself, it's over, I'm done, mm. this, is, this is it. And uh, man, that just started this, this, this horrible part. So as I'm in the back of the FBI car, they, I guess they gave the case over, not a federal case, they gave it over to the Chicago Police Department. So I'm going to, you know, the local precinct at night and it's just terrible, cold, and I'm, you know, still pretty, pretty drunk. <laughs> so we get through, we get through a night of that. Then they take me to another place the next day. Then eventually I go to Cook County Jail. And so Cook County Jail, if you ever heard about that, it's pretty, pretty, pretty nasty. Um, it's huge. And so I went through these bullpens throughout the, throughout the day. And they had to do processing and all that. And, man, I was just awful. And then it came down to uh, court. I was going to court. And it was a TV court. So as I'm going to this TV court, he said, I had 536 pounds of marijuana. He says, you have a million-dollar bond on you. I'm like, million-dollar bond? And then right after that, they write MAX on my arm. I'm like, what does this mean? It's like, you're going to maximum security. I'm like, oh. whoa. White boy from Indianola, Iowa, <laughs> going wow. to maximum security in Cook County Jail. And I was looking at six to 30 years. Wow. That's incredible. That's incredible. So, yeah. So what happened next? Well, <laughs> oh, it just gets better from there. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> Please do continue. So I, uh, so I went through processing and I go into the cell block C9. Google it sometime. You can check it out on, on <laughs> check out cell block C9 at Cook County Jail. If we Google it, are you in the? No, no, I hope not. No. <laughs> yeah, well, you, I would stand out, believe me. <laughs> uh, so as I, as I walk in and it was all locked down all the way up and down and they have these things called chuck holes where you put your hands through, you know, through the door and you, you can get handcuffs on them. Well, you can also take it and pound it on the door. You can open it and pound it. So as I'm walking in, it's already locked down, and the whole place erupts, pounding on the door saying, put the white boy in here, put the white boy in here. So that's how it started oh for boy. me. And so I ended up uh, going into a cell with these two other guys, and I just sleep on the floor, or these crates on a mattress. The next morning I get up, and this guy comes over to me, and he, or, over to, this, to our cell, and he goes, hey, do you want to make a three-way phone call? That means you can make a phone call to people on the outside. And I thought, yeah, I got to get a hold of somebody, you know, and and the people around me were like, no, no, you don't want to do that. They're going to own you. And so I said, no, the or, the doors opened up. I walked out into into this the main area and all of a sudden I see all these guys going over here to one side and all these other guys going over here and this other side. And they're all looking at me. I'm like, oh, my goodness, what in the world? So it turns out these guys on the right were all gangster disciples. These guys on the left were Latin kings. And the Latin Kings looked at me and gave me a little, hey, come here. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm dead. <laughs> like, this is, this is wow. it. Wow. So I go over to them, and they go, they ask me, what are you in for? I said, uh, I said, weed. And they're like, that's it? Just weed? Like, you know, nothing else. And they're like, okay, this is called an aid and assist because you're not in a gang. This is called an aid and assist. If anybody messes with you, they mess with us. And so there's some kind of code of honor on the inside, but they tucked they literally tucked me under under their wing, and uh, and really protected me during that time. It was kind of interesting, kind of a real real study on you know the the underworld of of jail life. 
Wow, that's that's incredible. And and you just think, you know, also you see God's hand at work, right? He's like, I'm not done with you. I have bigger plans. And even long before you knew who he was or that he <laughs> was pursuing you, um, just to, to have that provision. So like, that's, that's incredible. I mean, really from the, the the clutches of death really i mean you know i mean it's you, you don't know that could have gone a completely different way and the interesting thing is they said the thing that saved my life in there was that was a christian block and so at night before lockdown they would have a, a prayer circle underneath the step underneath the stairs and i was look i would look at that and go i'm not going anywhere near that you know that's how far away it was from god but god was there so finally towards the very last part of it i'm like you know what i'm going to do this i'm just going to go go you know, and so I went over and got in the got in the prayer line with him. And a few days after that, there was this guy in there. He was a gangster disciple, short little stocky guy. They called him preacher. His name was Kennard. Um, they called him preacher. You'd see, he'd always jump up on the stainless steel uh, benches and just preach. And everybody just loved him. Anyway, he came up to my cell block before lockdown and goes, "Hey, the Lord says for you to come down and stay down in my in my cell block with me." And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> he goes, "Grab your stuff right now. Come on." So I grabbed it and he had favor because he just had favor. So I went down there and, and I ended up sleeping on his bunk. He slept on the crates. He had another kid that slept above. And in that cell block, he, it was, I'll tell you, man, it was God because this guy was in there for, uh, it was incredible. He was in there for multiple homicides. He's a lifer. You know, he's going away for life. But uh, we're in that cell block and he's, that's the first time I ever prayed out loud. He taught me how to pray. And I had to teach him a little ge geography. Like he thought Chicago and New York were attached. You know, like he had no idea. He's never been out of his, his neighborhood. He's only been in gang life. So gangs wow. are all segregated in their, in their neighborhoods. And so that was an incredible time in that moment. And I remember, you know, I had a girlfriend at the time. And I wrote her a letter. And I said, man, I think I'm going to go to church when I'm out of here. You know, and... and uh, and the interesting thing is I had a million dollar bond on me, but it got brought down to 400,000. So it was 40,000 to get me out. We had plenty of money from the drug money to, to get me out, but you had to show where it comes from. You get the IRS, you know, you have to show mm, where it comes sure. from. Yeah. So we couldn't use our money. So my best friend that I grew up with here in Indianola, his name's Chuck Van Ryswick. We have some Van Ryswick's in the church. And uh, he took it upon himself to raise the money, $40,000 to get me out. So after 88 days of being in Cook County Jail, I got out but I'm still looking at six to 30 years. So first thing I call my, I, I call my girlfriend at the time and she, I'm, she's the one I said, I'm going to go to church. And she said one thing to me, she goes, I think that's a cop out. I said, what? okay, you're right. So I took that whole church thing off the table at the wow. time. So I went through the courts for two years. I thinking I was going to go to prison. I was looking at six to 30 years. Um, and I spent all the rest of my money that I had, on lawyers because I wanted to make, I wanted to find the lawyer that could make that backdoor deal that you can really only make in Chicago, <laughs> you know? So finally, I don't know how many lawyers later, several, I, I found her that she, she, she did, she made the backdoor deal and I showed up to court after two years and I was basically drinking myself to death during those two years. I thought I was going to prison. I was a mess. I was a disaster. I was doing drugs and just, I was, I was lost. And after two, after two years, I found the backdoor deal. Um, I showed up at court and she says, you're not going to prison, but you have a felony, but you're, you're done. Wow. And that was May 4th, 2005. I'll never forget. And I remember thinking, man, I got to get my life together. 
Yeah, that's, uh, you know, when when you say God gets your attention, you know, I mean, that's that's uh, getting your attention, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, so wow, wow. So, so you, I mean, how incredible is that, that you got out of that deal? Uh, I mean, that's, that is uh, unheard of, you yeah. know, I mean, uh, pretty, pretty incredible, but, but still just shows, you know, God's hands and I'm, I'm not done, you know, like I have, I have more in store for you. And so, yeah. um, so tell us a little bit more of what happened, what happened after that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now it's May, 2004 and I, my mom had just bought a house or a trailer down the South side of Indianola, down in that trailer court down there. And so she just bought that. She just moved back to Indianola. And I'm like, you know what? I got to figure out my life. I'm going to go spend time with my mom, my dad, get back to my roots, you know, just kind of figure some stuff out. So I go down to, to stay with my mom and she lives right next door to Norma Bash. Well, I, <laughs> and I, I'm, uh, so I'm back with my mom and I'm in darkness, man. I'm, I'm like, I'm lost. I'm drinking heavily. I'm, I'm a disaster, but I'm trying to figure things out. And I remember distinctly telling my mom, mom, stay away from Norma Bash. I said, there's something very strange about her. She's very nice. She's too nice. And she always wants to hug. And I was serious, man. I was like, I'm serious, mom. You stay away from her. <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, Chicago took the Iowa nice yeah, out right, of me. Yeah, I didn't right. have any of that left, man. I was gone. dude. I was gone. So I spent like two months with her, June and July of 2005, went to visit my dad in August and came back to Chicago in like September. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go to AA. I'm going to get a foot in the door job. I'm going to, you know, I was all gung ho. And I, so I was sober for like two whole weeks, found a foot in the door job, just a sales job. I'm like, just anything, get me started. And so now it's October and uh, my first day on the job, I get a voicemail from my aunt back here in Indianola. And she's, or, or, she, she'd been trying to get a hold of me all night, and I just didn't, I didn't see it. So I ended up calling her back, and she goes, where have you been? We've been looking for you all night. Your mom died in a house fire back in Indianola. Oh. So I up and I just immediately, I left, left that new job, you know, called my family and got on a plane and flew back to, to Indianola and went to my aunt and uncle's. They live by the country club. <clears throat> and, of course, I was drinking again heavily so that was just just a blur um so we went through the, the all the funeral proceedings and all that and and then my aunt and uncle were like why don't you just stay here and we'll help you i needed somebody in my life at that time i didn't have anybody i'd pushed everybody everybody away my mom just died um my dad lived elsewhere <clears throat> so i just i stayed there and my uncle jim ski he uh, he sat down with me. He goes, man, we're going to we're going to make a list of some things that you need to do to get your life in order. And so I started making out this list. And I distinctly remember number 17 because that was my football number. <laughs> number 17 was go to church, like do all these things and sprinkle a little God on it. So fast forward to October. Now November hits and I was drinking heavily again, of course. And I decided to take a bottle of whiskey and some blankets and a pillow and go down to my mom's trailer that had just burned down. There's a tree right next to it. And I was, it was November, man, it was cold. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just gonna go down with a bottle of whiskey, I'm just gonna howl at the moon, you know, just, I don't know. So I just, I went down and I ended up passing out right there by the, by my mom's trailer that burned down. And Norma and Bob see me out of their window and instead of calling the police, I was passed out. Called my aunt and uncle to come get me. So then Norma in November goes back to Indianola first and says, there's this man that we need to pray for. <laughs> so that's November. Now December rolls around and now it's Christmas. It's Christmas Eve. 
my aunt and uncle left. My um, <clears throat> mom had just died. I pushed everybody in my life away, pushed my family away. Didn't have anybody. Had my dog, my dog Aspen. And it was just my dog and I. And it's Christmas Eve. Now, Pastor Barry will dispute the timing of this, but I guarantee—I was clearly foggy at the time. But I, I claim it was Christmas Eve and then Christmas morning. I was on a Sunday, and then they came to a Christmas service. But he says they've never had Christmas on a Sunday before. But I think he's wrong, and I'm right. Sorry, <laughs> Pastor Barry. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so in my memory, it was Christmas Eve, 2005. And uh, I was drinking, of course, and I took my dog out by the country club to let my dog run around. It's about two in the morning, full moon. And I think I got to the end of myself. I just, I, I absolutely got to the end of myself. I dropped to my knees in a snowdrift right there, and I'm just bawling. I am crying. I'm weeping. My dog's running around, and I'm just crying. I started crying out to God. I didn't even know to do that, you know? <laughs> And I started crying out to God, and I don't know, man. He heard me. He Something happened. I ended up going home, passing out, I guess. I got up the next morning. I know it was, I'm pretty sure it was Christmas morning, but it was a Sunday morning. I do know that. And I, so I got up. I'm like, I'm going to go to church. So I got up, and I made a big breakfast, and I made a big glass of orange juice, and three-quarters of that glass was vodka. <laughs> I said, I'm going to church. And so I was driving around and I, I went out to, I, I did, just to backtrack, I did have a relationship with Jesus Christ in third grade. Third and fourth grade, there's Brown's Chapel outside of Milo, um, little, little church out there, country church, used to pick me up on a bus on Wednesday and Sunday mornings to take me out there. So I remember having a walking, talking, living relationship with Jesus at that time. So Sunday morning, I decided to, to you know, take my vodka, take my drink, and I'm going to go to Brown's Chapel. So I drive out there and nothing's going on, so I'm like, I'm just going to go home. So I'm starting to pull back into Indianola, and something made me turn down Highway 92. So I took a mm -hmm. left, and I don't know why, just did. And next thing you know, I'm pulling up on Indianola First Assembly, and I see all these cars in the, in the parking lot. I thought, perfect, I'm going to park in the back. So I was parked in the back parking lot over here, slammed my drink, and I'm like, I just want to go inside and sit in the back pew and cry. But God had other plans. Yeah. So I walk in, and there's Bev Calloway right off the bat, and then Donnie. Donnie Jewett, Pastor Donnie, was the next one. And he, had, for some reason, just came up and gave me a big old hug. Oh. You know, and he'll tell you today, he goes, Don't man. Don't trust him. I know. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll tell you what I looked like and smelled like at that day. That day. <laughs> so then I walk into the sanctuary, and who's the first person I see? Norma Bash. Norma Bash. So Norma's like, David, come over here. And I'm like, all right, whatever, crazy lady. <laughs> so, I, so, so I sit next to her. And then nothing had, I, I, I ended up leaving after that. I remember I went back to Chicago, got all my stuff, came, and then they did a cookie drop. They used to do cookie drops back in the day when somebody oh, would yeah. come to church, and then they would just go to that person's house and drop off cookies, not stay and talk to them, but just leave. And I came back, and I'm like, ah, oh, cookies. I'm like, they taste pretty good. <laughs> I think I'll go back. <laughs> so I went back. So and it, it does work. The cookies yeah, work. It does all right. work, folks. <laughs> Bring it back. Bring back the cookie drop. <laughs> so now it's January 6, 2006. And I came back into the church, of course, walk in, there's Norma. So I sit next to Norma, and I, I hadn't lived in Indianola in 20 years, but I start seeing people around me that I knew. And Larry and Betty Perry were sitting right in front of me. I've known them my whole life. And I just started seeing other people. Anyway, at the end of the service, Pastor Calloway gave an altar call. And old Norma, she just <laughs> got up, bold as can be, and just turned to me and put out her hand towards me and just kept it there. So I reached out. 
Even in that moment, I was like, oh, I guess the fun's over. I'm like, fun. <laughs> like, really? This, right. it's, that's not fun. But you still think that, you know? I'm like, all right, I think I know what this means, but I didn't. And so she led me down to the altar, and man, I got saved. I got hit with the Holy Ghost. Man, it was like, it was incredible. Wow. Wow. There's just so you know, so much, so much there. And, and how... Sometimes the things that we do, you know, just praying for people and, and um, being intentional, just those little things, uh, not calling the cops on somebody necessarily, you know, those, and, and it seems like such a small thing, but, but how it can add up and how God can use those things to knit everything together to be so meaningful and impactful and how, you know, it would have been really easy to be judgmental and be like, this guy's a lost cause, you know, but, you know, Thank goodness for for people like Norma Bash who just have that heart. And I will tell you, like, my wife's grandma is the same way. She just has that heart, just of, like, she just loves people. Wherever they're at, she loves them. And I will tell you, like, that's a, that's that's unconditional love. And, I you know, when I think about unconditional love, it's, it's honestly hard for us to really comprehend unconditional love because everything's conditional <laughs> to us as humans you know and so like just truly comprehending unconditional but uh you know there's people that are just blessed with that unconditional love for people and just how powerful that is and so um just incredible to see god use use people um in, in simple ways you know to 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 make such a difference yeah and then i tell you then pastor barry became a very big big part of the rest of the story um so I was, you know, saved. I was coming to church. I was doing something. I mean, I'd been in darkness for a long time. And all of a sudden there's this light. Like, what's that? You know? And so I would sense this light, this sort of a piece. I would come to church. And I'm like, man, this is great. But then I'm back out here drinking when I leave. You know, I was just kind of going back and forth and back and forth. And about six months into being saved, I, I got drunk again. And I, I was just tired of it. And so I drove over to Pastor Barry's house. He lived in the Parsonage over here next to the church. And he was outside playing with the kids. They were little then. And I pulled up. <laughs> he comes over to the window and goes, you've been drinking? I'm like, uh, yeah. He goes, move over. I'm driving. Or I think we actually got into his car. Yeah, that's what we did. So we got into his car, and we're just driving around. And he's just talking to me. And then we ended up driving over to Larry Perry's house. And so we went into Larry's house, and we sat on his couch. We talked. And then we prayed. That was the last time I've ever had alcohol in my system was that wow. day right then oh, and there. Wow. So the next day I, I, I left my car at the church and I came back out to get it in the morning. I talked to Pastor Calloway. And then I went to a Little League baseball game that night because people from church were there. But I was mm -hmm. out by the outfield fence because I was so hungover I was going to throw up. I was sick, you know. Yeah. And, of course, here comes Pastor Barry. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know he was there, you know, and all of a sudden he walks up on me. He's like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, terrible. I feel like crud, you know. And he goes, and this is exactly what he said. And this was like, it was like a brick came down on my head. And I think it was directly from the Lord. He just said, this is where the rubber meets the road. And I just hit me. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, it is. And Larry Perry had just told me about Teen Challenge, like, I don't know, a month before that which was like, blah, 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 Teen right. Challenge, no, no, not even a thought. But then uh, Pastor Barry's like, well, listen, why don't you pray and then come over to my house later and we'll just talk. So I'm sitting out by the outfield fence and I'm just like, Lord, I, got, I don't want to do this anymore. And I kept hearing Teen Challenge, 
teen challenge. Teen challenge. I mean, it was kind of loud. I was kind of like, "Would you be quiet? I'm trying to pray here." You know, <laughs> and uh, and then I'm like, "Wow, teen challenge!" So I ended up calling Pastor Barry right right there where I was. He was home now. I go, "What in the world is teen challenge? I can't stop thinking about it." And he starts to explain it to me, and I still didn't get it. It didn't make sense, but I started to feel this peace just started to come over me. And then I hung up the phone. And I'm like, "I'm going to teen challenge." And I got excited and I ran home, I ran to my car and I drove home and I got online, I printed everything out, the application, went over to Pastor Barry's, we, we hung out that night, we prayed, got my blood work done the next day and the day after that I, I walked through the doors of Teen Challenge in Colfax, Iowa and I said, God, let's start over. Let's start over, this whole mess, this whole thing. I don't know anything, I don't know anybody, you know, I just, let's start over. And so I just went into that, into Teen Challenge discipleship process, ours was a year and a half. And I just fully submitted, and I'm like, I don't care what I have to go through. I want to change. I want a new life. And man, whew. I've had I've had friends that uh, you know gone through recovery of different things, and 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 I've said this many times before, but you know ultimately all of us are in recovery from being sinners, right? I mean, you know, so we say recovery, but it's like we all have those old habits and or whatever that we we we've lived in up until we come to know Christ. You know, and so then it's that that process of sanctification. And yeah, and sometimes certain things are are more detrimental and or, you know, physically or or relationally. And and so obviously alcohol and and drugs are, are that way. And it brings about a sense of vulnerability that, you know, when you get to the end of your, like literally the end and you're like, I'm done. You know, many times if, if, if we haven't reached that end or, re- or hit rock bottom, we're still holding on to a little bit of it. And we never actually truly let go and admit that we need to truly let go and truly submit and surrender like you talk about. And, and, and I think it actually works against us. And, and many times what I've seen is God will will take people to rock bottom because he knows that's when they will truly surrender. And he can use them in such greater ways because now, now it is new life. Now it is a fresh start. It's brand new. And, and it's, it's life giving in a way that just, you can't explain with words, you know? And, and that's where I think, you know, it's, it's difficult for me sometimes, you know, until I really experienced it and spent some time with recovery ministry uh, it was difficult. growing up in a Christian home, you know, it's like, well, it was just kind of a, that's how I've always been, you know? And so it's, it's, it's hard to understand, but it's also just one of those where it's, it's challenged me to think differently about my relationship and just like, it is a new life, no matter where you started, no matter what it was before, it's a new life and it's, and it's, you know, a fresh slate from there. So yeah, man, I'm 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 not the same person I was in Chicago. I'm not same personality. You know, I could go back to a bar in Chicago and people are like, "Hey, Woody, where you been?" You know, and, <laughs> and it wouldn't take him too long to realize, wait a minute, you're not you're not that same guy. But it, that process was such a beautiful beautiful process of just. I mean, I I didn't want any of my garbage anymore, man. I just kept laying it every day at the altar, every day crying and weeping and just letting it out. And then about a couple months into it, I I remember sitting in the sanctuary by myself, and I had to do this one last little check in my mind, like this little Rolodex of like, is there anything else that I haven't tried in this life? You know, I'm like, I've done about everything this world has to offer. And then I, I sat up and I'm like, okay, God, this is it. I said, from this point on, for the rest of my life, there's no plan B. This is it. I'm mm-hmm. in 100%. And that's when my life really, really began to change. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so good. Because 
how many times, you know, we treat God as a part of our life or, you know, or like we want, uh, this has been challenging me personally, honestly, even just over the last few months is just really thinking about how much do we allow culture and society to influence how we live. And, and there's like an expectation of like, this is how we should do it. This is how life goes. Instead of truly just, I'm going to follow God's word and I'm going to follow his calling regardless of what society or culture or anybody else thinks about it. Because we got something so much better to look forward to than, than this, this life will ever provide. And, and we sell ourselves short because we're, you know, like me, I've, I've struggled with this, is that, that FOMO, that fear of missing out. And we're like, oh, I want to get all the experiences, right? Like, right. I want to do all the things. Uh, but, but God's like, no, I'm, I'm, I have more than all of those things combined. And, and he's offering that freely. And, and so it's just one of those where he's like, if you just let go, <laughs> if you just let go and truly, and, and like you said, no plan B and just truly pursue him. I, it's just so incredible um, what God will do in your life if you just let go. Well, that's, I mean, uh, incredible, incredible story. I mean, just a testimony of coming to know. Um, and, and, and some people, it's easy to say like, why wasn't it just an instant switch, you know? God wants to work through us in different ways, you know? And so I think there, you know, there's times, you know, where it's like, hey, you know, done drinking or whatever. There's other times where it's like God. And uh, as long as we're consistently pursuing him, because that's ultimately where where the freedom is, is, is pursuing him in that. And and then he gives us the freedom. So, so great. So tell us, yeah, how are you called into ministry? Well, here I am going through Teen Challenge, and man, I, I have, uh, it was a beautiful joy ride of just getting into the Word, learning the Word, laying everything down, getting all, God just cleanse all that junk out of me and fill me with Him. And I, and I remember I was probably in Teen Challenge about nine or ten months at this time, and I'm in the chapel and I'm worshiping Him. i just praising Him. I, I've experienced this peace. I remember the first time I, I experienced that. You know, and I, I was up on fourth floor. This is kind of funny. I was on the fourth floor on a Friday night. And first of all, I'm thinking, what am I doing with a bunch of dudes on a Friday night? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> up here. But but I remember thinking, too, I'm like, I remember just going, God, I feel great. I go and I go, God, what is this? And he said, it, it's peace. Mm. Like, Man, this is the greatest high I've ever had, yeah. you know. <laughs> And it was just awesome. So, so that piece was real, and I kept thinking, okay, this is great, but when's it going to go away? You know, yeah. and it just, it just didn't. It just kept going. It kept going. And so here I am worshiping God in, in, a, in a worship service. I'm weeping because I'm just so thrilled with what he's doing in my life and the, the freedom that I'm experiencing and the peace. And I said this. I think I said it out loud, and I just said, God, I I'd want to dedicate because I had nobody at the time, nobody. It was just me and God and my new friends and Teen Challenge. You know, I said, God, I want to dedicate the rest of my life to helping other people find the same kind of freedom that I found. And in an mm -hmm. instant, he spoke to my heart. He said, you're going to be in full-time ministry. And I went, whoa. And I, it was like an audible voice, man. It was so strong. And I kept thinking, me? <laughs> you know, <laughs> me in full-time ministry? And then I started thinking about, man, like going out and getting a sales job and going into ministry. And it was like I would get sick to my stomach thinking about a sales job. But then, man, the thought of going into ministry was just like overpowering. Yeah, just having that call, having that heart. You know, I think it's when you go through things, I, I think about in the Bible where it talks about, you know, those who've been forgiven much, you know, and, and it is, it's so true because it, it, you just have that appreciation in different ways. Like when you haven't been forgiven very much, it's easy to take it for granted. Yeah. 
I've seen that in my kids, you know, and it's like, you know, different things like that is it's like, but when you've been forgiven a lot, it, it changes, changes everything. You know, and then to kind of con- continue in that story. So it, it's, it's funny how God just does things along the way. So here I am now in Omaha. So I'm in phase three and it's a different thing than Colfax and you get a job and you're, but you're still in teen challenge. And there was pastor Ed Abishan was one of our mentors there that lived in the house with us. One day I went down to the kitchen to him and I, I, I always thought pastors were just born. You're just, you're just born a pastor. Mm-hmm. That's your, you know, and I, I just went down. I'm like, I go, pastor Ed, I go, I, I think I'm being called into ministry. I go, I, what does that mean? I mean, how do you become a pastor? And he's like, well, you feel like you're being, you know, and he goes, you just do it. You know, you, you and he starts kind of explaining. I'm like, just, I could, me, I could become a <laughs> pastor, really? You know, so it just didn't, didn't make a whole lot of sense. And then I remember shortly after that, I was going to Glad Tidings Church in Omaha, and I was doing children's ministry. I was just a low man on the totem pole doing a little preschool ministry, kids ministry. Just starting yeah, just starting somewhere, right? Yeah. And so they called the leadership meeting in the church. It's a big church. And so these spiritual giants that I'm looking at, you know, and I go and I sit down in this chair, and then here comes the lead pastor sits right next to me on the left. Then the worship pastor comes and sits on the right. And then, the, you know, the other leaders are sitting around me, and I just start giggling. Like, like <laughs> I, I couldn't control it. I'm just <laughs> laughing. I'm like, what in the world am I doing here? And the God says, because you're going to be in leadership. Another time he spoke to me, I'm like, whoa, all right. I knew that there was a path that I was supposed to go on. And then when, when I started to get to the very end of Teen Challenge, it was a year and a half discipleship. My director at the time was Warren Hunsberger, and he was going down to Jacksonville to a ministry school to be the director down there. And so those so in prayer, those doors opened up. And I'm like, I'm going to go to Jacksonville, Florida, and go to ministry school. And so that's where I was headed. But I have to, I have to say, in between... It was two years from the time that I got saved, that Christmas time, and that was two years later, 2007, Christmas time, and now I'm coming back through Indianola, and I was just before I'm heading down to Jacksonville, so I'm here for Christmas, and Pastor Barry introduces me to this girl in this room that we're doing this podcast, <laughs> as a matter of fact, in this very room. So he says, hey, we're having a party over at our house tonight. You know, you're invited. I'm like, all right, cool. So I show up at Pastor Barry and Alyssa's house, and there's Pastor Barry and Alyssa, and Donnie and Megan and John Olson and Amanda, the pastors. I'm like, uh, where is there? And, and Sarah, my future wife. <laughs> and I'm like, that's uh, a setup. So, so yeah, a, total yeah. setup. So I'm like, uh, where is everybody? Oh, this is it. Next thing you know, Donnie and John and this, they, well, we're going to a movie. We'll see y'all later. I'm like, set up, set up. <laughs> So I'm like, well, Sarah, she grew up in this church. Um, her parents are Danny and Peggy Phillips. So anyway, she grew up, but she was living in Texas at the time. And I'm like, okay, this doesn't make sense. She lives in Texas. I'm going to Florida the next morning. You know, I'm like, well, what are you guys even doing here? And so as I'm leaving, I'm like, oh, you know, my brother lives in Fort Worth. If I'm ever in Texas, I'll give you a call. Hey, give, give me your number, you know. <laughs> Guess where you went the next day. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> so I take off driving. It's kind of funny. So I take off driving down to Florida. I stop and I, I go to Memphis because I want to go to Graceland. You know, I got to go see Elvis, Elvis's house. And so I had a number on my phone and I took, had somebody take a picture of me with little flip phones. Had somebody take a picture of me in front of Graceland. And so I sent a text to who I thought was my buddy Tyler. And I said, dude, I'm at Graceland. And the text back was, why are you calling me dude? It was Sarah. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> so, so that was my introduction to, uh, to that What'd you have her in your phone as? I don't even, dude. <laughs> I don't know. Do that. I don't know. I'm not sure, but it hit the wrong button. <laughs> wow. So, okay. So tell us, yeah, a little bit more about 
you and Sarah. Yeah, so I went down to ministry school. So we started just texting each other, and now I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. Here, it's, this is totally a God-ordained deal. So I get into Texas, going to ministry school in Jacksonville, Florida, and you know how God speaks to you in threes sometimes? Like, boom, 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 three just random things, seemingly random things. Well, this was San Antonio. And so I, I remember I walked into my dorm room, and my roommate was like, I was kind of stunned. He goes, what's going on? I go, I think I'm going to San Antonio when I'm done with school. He goes, the Lord just spoke to me. He goes, write that down. So I wrote it in my book, mm-hmm. in, my little, in my journal, forgot about it. About it. And then now Sarah and I are, are starting to text, turn into phone calls and, and things like that. And then several months later, um, the dean of students was talking about this student that used to go there that's now the executive director at Teen Challenge in San Antonio. And wow. so the Holy Spirit quickened me and said, that's your contact. So I went out and called him. I go, you don't know me, but I think I'm being called there. He goes, hey, great, man. Here's I'll send you an application, fill it out, get it in. When you're done with school, give me a call. Wow. Did it, put it on the back burner, forgot about it. So Sarah end up, ends up coming to visit me, flies in from Texas. And of course, it's ministry school, so we had to have a, a chaperone the whole time. <laughs> yeah. So my best friend Stu was with me, or, or Marta, the, 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 the school secretary, was with us. So we go to St. Augustine, and there's Marta, me, Sarah, and Marta. So anyway, so when we finally left, I'm like, okay, enough's enough. I'm a grown man. You're going, I'm going to take you to the airport. So I take her to the airport, and I end up leaving. And she calls me back, says she has a three-hour delay. So I turn around and go back to the airport. And we sat and had the best time the best conversation those three hours and so mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm walking her up to the plane you know and and i'm like so are you my girlfriend now she goes no she no. turned and walked and got on the plane. <laughs> not that easy. I guess it's not that easy. Yeah. Yeah. So then I was going into my last trimester of school and Warren Hunsberger brought us into the chapel and said that we have to close the school for financial reasons. And before I could even think, what am I going to? Oh, yeah. So I went out to the parking lot and I called up Brandon, the, the executive director of Teen Challenge of San Antonio. I said, you know, the school's closing. He goes, man, that's great. We're starting this corporate executive training institute. You're invited come on starts in two weeks wow. I'm like cool so i'm like here i go so i pack up and i drive to texas i'm going down i know and during this time the lord has told me that he was giving sarah to me so i knew that she was going to be in my life mm-hmm. so now i'm going to texas but we're in two distinctly different areas she's in dallas fort worth i'm going down to san antonio yeah and what's the distance between that five hours yeah as i was gonna say it's pretty big yeah. distance. yeah so I'm looking at this, I'm going through the training and, and they, they could have trained me up and sent me to any one of these four centers, but none of those centers are in Dallas, Fort Worth. So I'm thinking, what the heck? You know, I know you, you gave me that you're giving me her, but I'm down here, but I know I'm supposed to be here too. And so I just, I just, you know, I started thinking, I'll just go up there and get an apartment, do my Berean classes, blah, blah, blah. And the Lord again spoke to me very clearly and said, stay put, I'm orchestrating everything. I mean, clear as a bell. I got on my knees, got on my face before I said, I'm fully submit. God, I'm all yours. If Sarah's part of this, great. If not, so be it. But I knew she was. I just didn't know what it looked like. So I just totally submitted, laid down, you know, and I, I had the best two months of training. It was seven days a week. I learned a ton and just had a great time. Then they called me into the corporate office after two months. And I'm in this corporate office with one of the big wigs in there. I'm, you know, I'm really nobody at this time. And so they go, they said, we are starting a men's program in Dallas, Fort Worth, and we want you to go help start it. Yep. Wow. Yep. I'm like, (laughs) I started weeping right there in the chair, you know, and they're like, well, you freak. What's the matter with you, you crazy guy? And I'm like, man, you guys don't understand. You just laid out my future, you know? And so I look at a map and we were starting the program in Weatherford, Texas, and Fort, right next to, just west of Fort Worth. And then I looked at the map. It's 22 miles straight shot from the center to her house. And mm. I'm just, and nobody knew that, you know, nobody, nobody yeah. in the corporate office knew any of that. God totally orchestrated. God did. 
Yeah. yeah. You know, in, in those situations, and, and God's been really working on me on this too, is it's just like, he's just like, patience. He's like, I got this. <laughs> you know, how many times we want to try to make it happen and we're like, oh, we see it, you know, and if God shows us something, we try to like go after it and sometimes we leave him behind. And it's like, no, no, no. He's like, just patience. He's like, I've got this. Just keep surrendering. Keep taking steps forward. It's all going to come together. Yeah, so I so I go up to go up to Fort uh, to Weatherford, and it was beautiful. We started out in a house with fourteen beds, fourteen students, and a little staff house next door. Great start. With a, we converted the the uh, garage into offices, which also was laundry. You know, so it was just it was a really great start. And Sarah and I dated for that year. Um, the next year, 2009, I found a larger facility in, in Azel, which is just northwest of Fort Worth on eight acres. It used to be a church, but it was just perfect for a Teen Challenge Center. I found it and we were able to buy it. 2009, I, I proposed to Sarah in 2009. 2010, we moved the whole center over to, to Azel. We got married in 2010. I became the director within the first year, by the way, and, um, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but I became the director yeah. within the first year. So then in 2010, we moved to Azel and we did a ton of work on the building to get the dorm set up and all that stuff moved in. And then we, it's the ministry just started to explode. So I got married in 2010, the ministry, we moved the ministry in 2010. Uh, we went from 18 students in Weatherford with a, with a boiling up, you know, boiling septic system <laughs> with 18 men in a little house into this larger facility we went from 22 men to 32 men to 45 men to to, to upwards of 60 men and that and you know not that short of not that long of a time and it just exploded and it was just a wonderful wonderful time you know just working with men with addictions the same process i've gone through and it was just incredible so i had my first child in 2012 isabella and my second one in 2014 olivia and then two, 2016 rolls around. I thought I'd be in Teen Challenge forever. And I felt a detaching. Something was going on. I felt, mm. you know, God was doing something. So I came back to came back to Iowa and I talked to Pastor Barry, talked to the district, talked to the Teen Challenge, all this stuff. And about six months after that, I get a call from Pastor Barry. It says, we're planting a church. We want to plant a church in Knoxville. And we want you guys to, to pastor it. And that was a whole process in itself to see if that was really God. And when yeah. we realized that it was God, we said yes. We put our house on the market in Texas, and we had a bidding war on day one. Sold for way more than we expected. Man, it just whisked us right up here. And, you know, first went to town on the, the church in Knoxville and did a ton of work to it, modernized it and, and all that. And, and September 26, 2016, we had our very first service in Knoxville in, at New Journey Church. We were there for seven years. Which the Knoxville church, that story is amazing in itself. Yeah. Because that church had originally went under, right? Yeah, it closed, man. It was, the doors were closed. It was, it was sitting there dormant for about a year. And it, it had been uh, a thorn in the district side for many, many years. Just problem after problem after problem. It was just spiritual warfare, man. Um, and we dealt with it when we were there. We dealt with it head on a couple couple times pretty severely. But it's a strong it's a strong spirit. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And Amen. It's a strong church right now and healthy and, you know, doing really well. So cool to see yeah, how God's worked through your life and, and used you in ministry in so many different ways uh, and all of that. So if you could go back and give your 18-year-old self one piece of advice, what would it be? 
quit wasting your life. Get right with the Lord now. You know, I there's I, I, I look back on my life now. I really, truly have no regrets. I really don't. Uh, I'm glad that I went through the things that I did. That's my story. And now because of the healing on this end, I'm able to relate to people that are where I was. And I know where the head is. I know what they're thinking because I've been there. And so, you know, in ministry, I'm really, really grateful that I have that experience. What the enemy meant for evil, God turns to good. However, I think my testimony might be an incredible testimony, but the best testimony I, I could ever hear is somebody at 18 saying, you know what, I'm going to serve the Lord for the rest of my life. Mm. That's even a better testimony. I'd rather have had that. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm glad I have mine, but but I would tell anybody and myself, oh, no, let's 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 do this right from here on out. Don't go through all that mess. No guarantees, man. <laughs> yeah. So where do you live now? So we moved to Pella, which was another God story. You know, I, I said when we moved from Texas that we were able to sell our house really quick. Well, Pella, there's no houses for sale. There's nothing, you know, and we just kind of trusted the Lord. And, and uh, we, we got a realtor and we looked at a couple of places. We're like, oh, yuck, this isn't what we want. It's old and expensive and, you know, all that. And we just trusted there's God. all these flowers everywhere. All these yeah, yeah. <laughs> tulips and all that crazy windmills. windmills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wooden shoes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Man, I don't know. I can't wear those things. Um, we had an opportunity to buy a house and it was on a bidding thing. And they're like, you got to make a decision by 10 o'clock tonight. And we were scrambling. And I'm like, you know, God's not a God of pressure. I just text and said, we don't want it. So the next day we go to the well for a volunteer appreciation and they were just going to introduce us, you know? And, and so a guy from the, that's on staff there came over and said, Hey, this gal was here just a few minutes ago. She donated a car to the well. She said, the next thing I have to do is sell my mom's house. So she gave us the, the number and we drove over there that night. We're sitting in front of the house and I'm like, yeah, it's only seven. 30 let's give her a call so we called up the daughter she came over it wasn't even on the market yet there wasn't even a sign in the yard yet and so she shows us the house my daughter's picked out their rooms you know and and uh and then i'm like this is what we're looking for call the next morning to do a purchase agreement they signed it and then they were selling it as is because it's her mom's house and then the inspector came the appraisal came they were there for both the inspector said that the roof was in bad shape because of hail so they put on a new roof then the appraisal came back at even a, down at a much lower number, and they took it at that. Wow. And they told me later, they said, once we met you guys and your daughters picked out those rooms, we knew that we wanted to sell this house to you. <laughs> and the gal that lived there was a prayer warrior, and she was praying for the right family to come to come to that house. So it was total God thing, too, man. You know, you, you, I remember earlier you were talking about how it's like, hey, it was fun you know, in Chicago and you're doing all that. How fun is it to just, when God just does those things, right? And you just see it and it's like, there's no other explanation. No, not at all, man. It's <laughs> like, ah, oh, geez, it's just no comparison. When you lay down your junk and you give it to him, what he replaces it with is incredibly better. You know, going into this whole journey, I just said, God, I'm going to serve you the rest of my life, period. And in that, he's given me an abundant life. You know, I wasn't seeking an abundant life. I was seeking to serve him. And just like Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. And I can't even tell you how incredibly blessed I am from, from literally knocking on the gates of hell. I was spitting up blood in my alcoholism at the, at the very end. I, was, I, I would be dead if I'd have kept any longer. If God hadn't intervened when he did in my life, I would not be here. And, but he did, and I let him <laughs> intervene. And the coolest thing is, I told you that I, I, I had a relationship with Christ in third grade. After I got saved, it was like the smoke cleared, you know, like the fog cleared. And I'm not kidding you. It was like Jesus was standing there in front of me. 
And he's and he was just saying, "Welcome back." Now, mm-hmm. can we continue this journey that we started way back then? Mm-hmm. And I just remember going, "I remember you, <laughs> I remember you, I remember the relationship that we had. I remembered you." So it was really easy to just grab hold of him, and say, "I'm not letting go this time. I'm just not going to let go." And so in ministry, I just I tell people all the time, "Man, plant seeds. You can't change anybody. You just plant seeds by your example, how you handle things, the word, whatever it is. Plant. You plant water. God will bring the increase. That little teeny seed." I guess maybe like a mustard seed. I don't know. <laughs> but that little teeny seed in third grade came to fruition all these years later. You know, you just don't know. Yeah. So we just got to plant. Oh, that's such a good word. Such a good word. I think, you know, sometimes we just want it so bad, you know, for people or we want this or that. And it's like, we just got to give that over to God too. And let, you know, just trust that he's he's got that piece figured out. And we'll just keep, you know, pursuing him and, and he'll use us for that. But I mean, coming back to what you're talking about before is just, you know, trusting that God has and wants what's best for us. You know, when we just surrender, you know, he, you know, in that verse, it talks about adding all these things to you. You know, it really is. He has so much more. Like he has all the resources. He has everything, you know, and it's like here we are sitting here trying to figure it out on our own. And he's like, I got it here. Yeah. Just just surrender. Yeah, if you guys get anything out of this testimony, man, it's 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 the hardest thing to do, but it's the most rewarding thing to do. And the, the thing that God wants from us is full surrender, to be living sacrifices, you know, coming upon his throne of grace and just saying, God, I'm all yours. And just let him, it's just, it's, it, it'll put you on it. That's why we need the church new journey, because it's just, he's going to put you on a journey that's going to just blow your mind. And it's always exciting, always exciting. That's been, it's just incredible. What do you do for fun? I'm a huge Cubs fan, man. I love the Cubs. I actually got tickets to the last two games of the season in Milwaukee, so I'm hoping it comes right down to the wire so we can be there for the games. Yeah. But, yeah, I had uh, lived in Chicago all those years, so that was that was in the middle of my mess. That was kind of my sanctuary. It was going to Wrigley Field. I could kind of put all my troubles aside for a couple hours and uh, and just watch baseball. So it's kind of a special thing for me. Did you did you go any of the World Series games when they were in the World Series? No, I ended up I was in I was in Iowa at the time, man. I watched them in my basement, in my little man cave. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and my my wife said that's the only time she's ever seen me cry at a sporting event before. <laughs> was it 108 years, right? 108, yeah. baby. 108. Yeah, That'd I remember be another 108. That's for sure. I hope. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. I remember there was a there was a restaurant in Des Moines that was called 1908 because that was the last time. And it was like, well, after they won again, like, yeah, you can name it 2000. Yeah. What are you going to do? Right. 1908, 2016. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you sharing your story. And just uh, what an amazing story. Yeah. I sit here speechless. Like, what do you what do you say? Like, it's yeah, this is awesome. And this is a very special place for me. And, you know, the first assembly is a very, very special place to me. So thanks, guys. I really appreciate it.